Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. Central. How you doing? This is Dusty Rhodes and welcome to Tech Radio for 10 years, the number one Irish tech podcast, bringing you the latest in tech from around Ireland and across the world. Remember, as well as our show on air with RTE and online via the website or your favourite podcasting app, we keep you bang up to date on all things tech every single day with hourly updates and daily newsletters, which you can grab for free at techcentral.ie. Now, one thing we've talked about uh, a lot over the years is the evolution of TV from the arrival of Netflix. Netflix, we were at the uh, Irish launch there many years ago, to digital TV platforms like Serview, who are delivering better audio and video over regular aerials. One man who has been at the forefront of digital television is a man called Peter McAvock, who is the head of distribution platforms and services for the EBU, European Broadcasting Union. Now I sat down with him for a special extended interview discussing the next frontiers on what we're going to be watching next and how. Most professionals would like to be around at a time when their industry is undergoing some kind of seismic change. Uh, I think it's fair to say you were there at the start of one in digital broadcasting. Um, so that's, that's a fair statement. Um, I, I have been very lucky. If I look at my um, engineering colleagues and friends, relatively few of them have been around for one of these big transitions, the transition from black and white to color, um, the launch of satellite pay television, um, the transition from analog to digital. So, yeah, I was around right at the start. And I think one of the the key things is that having come from Ireland um, and having grown up in an environment where there wasn't that much of the modern technology about I, uh, I I was uh, I was blessed with something called humility, and um, uh, and therefore that allowed me to um, to essentially work on some of the more interesting projects without some of the baggage that might have come from um, some of the more well established engineering folk. So I, I've been very lucky in that respect. Um, there is another transition happening now, which is arguably more important than that original transition but um and we don't know exactly how it's going to pan out but yeah i I was very i was very lucky at the time having come from ireland and i came um to a world where the fax machine was still king i introduced email into my organization in fact um i registered the um the eurovision um (laughs) at the time the eurovision domain names uh, and um, uh, because nobody heard of the World Wide Web before, even though CERN is only up the road. As with any new technology, there is a trade-off between engineers looking to solve a problem and business people who either don't see one or they don't see the need for it to be fixed. Uh, how did you argue your case for digital? So, um, good call. Uh, in, indeed, um, one of the, the key motivators for digital television at the time was to try and reduce costs and increase the choice for the consumer. Um, if we consider the biggest cost for a satellite operator at the time was the need to rent a single satellite transponder for each one of the services they provided, we were left with a situation where there could be great 
uh, economies by providing for not one channel per satellite transponder, but many satellite channels per transponder. And in fact, the threat at the time um, from the pay television industry way back when um, uh, was that they said to the more established broadcasters, guys, you think digital television is all over air? Well, we're going to do satellite television using digital techniques and we will do it ourselves or we could do it together. And that's what was the genesis of the, the digital transition. It was identifying that the opportunity first existed across satellite and only then would it appear over terrestrial and other means. So um, to be honest, Sky and Canal Plus in France, as they were at the time, while they're still operating, uh, were the main drivers for the transition to digital television. And they were the ones that secured the economies of scale that then allowed the terrestrial and cable operators to, to join. And I suppose the rocket science behind our approach was to recognize, and it was fairly revolutionary at the time, um, but it sounds so obvious today, that there was actually no real difference between satellite, cable, and terrestrial television. So therefore, they could use almost all of the same building blocks as you build a service. And that was, uh, that was a key that was a key invention at the time, although it sounds ridiculous now, uh, that meant that you didn't actually need to have a set-top box that was separate and had completely different technologies in it, that you could have all of it integrated into a TV set should you wish. When I was buying my most recent TV, it's probably about 10 years ago now, one of the main selling points was an MPEG-4 tuner. At what stage did having this sort of functionality become an essential part of the TV package? So, um... Very quickly, um, but it was driven mainly by the satellite uh, set-top box business at the time and ultimately moved then into other types of set-top box before becoming integrated into TV sets. I think a key factor here is that the old tube TV sets, which I grew up with, um, the ones that took five minutes to heat up because it took that long for the valves to heat up, uh, but those ones... Um, essentially had a product lifetime of about 12 to 15 years. And what we've seen is that reduced from 12 to 15 years to eight years. I certainly remember around 2008, 2010, and we're now down to about five years. So um, the TV set business um, is benefiting from Unfortunately, lower margins for the TV set vendors, the very few of them actually make money out of selling TVs. Uh, but um, one of the advantages is that there is now a faster turnover of product leading to a, uh, a faster introduction of new technologies into the home. And what we have seen is that once every, let's say, three or four years at CES, uh, the TV set vendors launch uh, revolutionary, well, revolutionary new features. Uh, 3D TV, we have, <laughs> we've lived through, we're now uh, well into the 4K higher dynamic range TV sets. The next uh, thing, some argue, if you look at CES from this year, is the whole, um, is the whole area of voice integration into TV sets 
and also 8K TV sets, although I certainly remain to be convinced that 8K has any future in the, shall we say, in the broadcast television space. One issue I've noticed about advances in picture resolution from SD to HD and now through to 8K is that you're looking to recreate an image or to deliver a heightened representation for the audience. Uh, which is it? So, um, again, that's a very good question. And, and, and we've done in my employer is the European Broadcasting Union, famous for the Eurovision Song Contest perhaps less famous for establishing the basic premise that the better the quality of the television picture that you see, the better the experience is. And we've done quite a lot of work on identifying what leads to a better viewing experience. So, for example, uh, the better viewing experience would be typified by the viewer being more relaxed um, when he watches a, a good quality television picture, he is he or she is less likely to churn away from that television picture if it's good quality than if it's bad quality. And we've done some tests, subjective tests around what uh, what are the greatest impacts for the the television picture. And, and a couple of things that that aren't obvious are are first of all um, we're all trying to get what is determined the most immersive experience. So can I suspend disbelief? Um, can I um, make the viewer see, uh, seem as if he is actually in the scene? Uh, can I do all these kind of things to try and, and engage the viewer more in the picture uh, by making it a better quality? And, and by and large, we're getting there. The higher dynamic range and um, functionalities which to be honest have a greater wow effect for the consumer the, the zapping colors the darker darks the brighter brights have a greater wow effect than the actual picture resolution and so we've concentrated on on the deployment of hdr in conjunction with either just pure hd or with 4k as being the shall we say the, the magic formula um, so in terms of picture quality, uh, um, we're trying to get to a situation where the consumer feels part of the scene. And we're not there yet because clearly these are, are um, uh, two-dimensional representations of what is essentially a three-dimensional scene. Um, 3D tried to address that problem, but plano stereoscopic 3D is something which has a number of very fundamental flaws with it, which meant it was never likely to succeed. And um, one of my colleagues who worked on 3D for a couple of generations will happily tell you that we need another, let's say, 15 years or so before we see a next generation of, of 3D. And that will be more based on probably on holography or one of, one of these type of techniques. But anyway, the, back to the, the, the picture issue, we're trying to get to a situation where we can make the viewer feel immersed in the scene. And, and we're not there, but... HDR, 4K, higher frame rate are very helpful. When we talk and, about any kind of connected device, there is a fear that it can be accessed by bad actors. Is this something we should be concerned about? Sure. And, and there have been demonstrations of hacks on TV sets, which in, in special circumstances can lead to the hijacking of, for example, a TV set camera. Um, 
and or the microphone for the purposes of recording what goes on in a particular room. Um, I, I, the, it, it, is, it is a persistent threat. And I think one of the key issues facing the industry is that the mobile phone sector and the computer-based sector are very good at ensuring that the software that they run is, is up to date. And their business model is based around that. The business model of a TV set is not necessarily based around making sure that it's kept up to date. It's rather kept on a set of design features which are sold at point of sale and um, and the fact that, that the margins are low enough for that to be a, an inexpensive product for the consumer. So price is a, is a, is a big factor. Uh, although it's not obvious, price is less of a factor in the case of the mobile phones and it is a bit of a factor, but not so much in terms of computers. So I think what we're seeing, um, I think what we're seeing is the fact that the the TV set industry, and indeed the entire television uh, television industry, is now more cognizant than in the past of the potential security threat associated with all of the uh, all of the, the the running of legacy software and devices. Uh, and it's something which is, is is something that's real. And if you look at the hacks that have been shown, it, it, they've been shown using, for example, TV sets or broadcast equipment uh, that run old versions of software. So if there's an advice to the consumer, it is, if there's a software update, please install it. Of course, there is the other side of services gathering information about you, and that's you know very often in the creation of content recommender systems. And as recommender systems from the likes of Netflix and Hulu get smarter, are they changing the way we watch TV as well? Oh, uh, there is a dramatic change that has been caused by um, Netflix and Hulu. So if I look back, a couple of points I'd like to make there. First point would be that the the concept of binge watching um, essentially has been introduced by these types of operators who release entire box sets at one time. And if you talk to the paid television operators, they will tell you that it is very rare now that individual episodes are watched at a time uh, by their viewers, even if they're available broadcast. So a viewer will wait or will try and anticipate and download box sets for viewing. And the idea is they will watch an entire box set in one sitting. And that is the typical way now of viewing these serialized dramas. Um, the other thing is, uh, which is which is very important, so there's a change in viewing habits that is taking place. Uh, the other thing is that, let's face it, the proposition from these guys uh, Amazon Prime, Netflix, and Hulu is very, very strong indeed because what they do is they provide a single source to a wide variety of content. <laughs> the bit that's not so hot, and that is particularly important in a European context, is that local content tends to be devalued in that proposition. And um, if I look at uh, some of the broadcasters in, in the different territories, over the last years, in fact, First episode I remember, uh, or the first attempt I remember was some 10 years ago, where the broadcasters in the UK sought to gather together to offer a single access point for the consumer for broadband-based services. That failed because it didn't, um, uh, it was uh, blocked by the Competition Commission in the United Kingdom that was concerned about other people having access to the market and the broadcasters tying it all up for themselves, etc. 
And what has happened is that Netflix have waltzed in and offered exactly that type of service uh, with no regulatory oversight at all. So what what is happening, we're seeing is that there is a revolution taking place in the way in which people access content um, and the type of content that they're watching. Is it positive? Is it negative? Um, Depends on who you are. But broadly speaking, it is positive for the TV business, if you like, because by and large, people are watching just as much, if not more TV than they have ever done in the past. Of course, you're talking to us in the context of DVB World, which is taking place from the 11th to 13th of March. What kind of conversations will be had within the industry about future directions in broadcasting? So um, uh, DVB World is indeed our flagship conference. And last year's event was held in Warsaw. Uh, This year's event will be held in Dublin. Uh, A large number of years ago, it used to be held all the time in Dublin. Um, uh, I I had nothing to do with it at the time, although I might have something to do with this one. Um, uh, But the conference, as you pointed out, is dealing with a number of very important topics. And one of the the big regulatory issues facing the industry at the moment is the impact 5G is going to have. Now, it depends. It depends on who you are and uh, as to what you feel 5G is going to mean. But um, the, I think the basic premise of 5G, at least from a regulatory perspective, and I think certainly from the DVB project and its members' perspective, would be that it, for it to be successful, it cannot be 4G plus one. In other words, it cannot be a technology exclusively owned and operated by the traditional telecommunications providers. Because with that comes a set of business models, et cetera, that have been honed over many years and have led to the telecommunications proposition that exists currently. So the first thing is 5G is a potentially revolutionary technology, but it would only work if it's not 4G plus one. And the second thing about 5G is that there are some quite surprising, um, uh, quite some quite surprising impacts it could have in the short to medium term. Um, my own employer um, is involved in in, uh, in shooting sporting events and all that kind of stuff. And in the environment of having wireless cameras, wireless microphones, um, wireless production in general, uh, 5G represents a very attractive technology in the short term um, that would make life a lot simpler. If I give you, a, um, I don't know if we have time, but if I give you a case in point, the Tour de France is the most popular um, sporting event, prob- annual sporting event, probably in Europe. And it is held uh, in France over three weeks. Uh, the way in which the, ki- the pictures are captured is that you have a pile of motorbikes um, going around um, uh, taking camera shots of individual cyclists. Uh, these uh, pictures are relayed to helicopters flying above the route at every occasion. And those pictures from the helicopters are relayed to planes flying above the helicopters, which then downlink to the broadcast uh, outside broadcast bands that are located at strategic positions around the country. Anything, but anything that could simplify that process and make it less costly would be beneficial. And 5G has the potential to do that. And that was Niall Kitson talking with Peter McAvock from the EBU. And if you happen to work in the AV industry or any kind of an interest in digital media or broadcasting, definitely consider a visit to DVB World, which is taking place in Dublin from the 11th to the 13th of March. For more information on that, visit dvbworld.org.
That's our show for this week. Remember, you can get the lowdown on all things tech in Ireland with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more at our website, techcentral.ie. Or, of course, listen to us each week online or Fridays at 5pm on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1 Extra. On the next time, from myself, Dusty Rhodes, thanks so much for listening. Have a great weekend. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by DigitalAudioProductions.com. Tech Central.